that's, a, that's an amazing song. Love that song. It is interesting that John Scott chose that song for our time together, Jeffrey, because, as you'll see in a little bit, I'm going to share a testimony from a member who actually references that song in her testimony. So it's, it, is, it constantly amazes me how God just kind of says, yeah, I'm putting this together. I got it. And these little surprises that happen. You can follow along this morning on version, which is a free app for your phone or mobile device. A great app if you don't have that already. The, the second way you can follow along, of course, is in the bulletin. Uh, as we continue our Spiritual Life Hacks series, a study of the book of James. And this morning, James, um, he's going to take us deep, so buckle up. We're going to go deep with James this morning. Chapter 4 of James is, I think, a kind of don't miss the forest for the trees chapter. I think James is going to have us take a few steps back and get a bigger view of things, of what life is really about Now, at first glance, as I was working through James chapter 4 this week, the theme that I picked up on was kind of a theme of peace. Uh, Verses 1 through 3, James is talking about the um, sin, how I have different desires, how I have different, um, different wants that are pulling oftentimes in different directions. Uh, There's this internal battle that's going on. And so James talks about this lack of inner peace. What causes that? Then James talks about in verses 4 to 10, peace with the world, okay, or peace with God. And James talks about the fact that I can't have peace with both. I can't be a friend of the world and a friend of God. In verses 11 and 12, he talks about peace with my neighbor, getting along with others, and some of the, um, some of the behaviors, some of the attitudes that make that uh, hard to do. And then finally, I really like verses 13 to 17 because James begins to talk about kind of our need to feel like we're in control, like we got everything under control. We know what's going to happen tomorrow and next, and he says, no, we don't. We need to come to peace with the fact that only God knows what's going to happen a year from now, or a day from now, or a minute from now. God is in control, and when we have a right relationship with Him, we're okay with that. God's got this. It's okay. When we don't have a right relationship with God, we can kind of freak out about not knowing what is going to come to pass. So inner peace, peace with others, peace with God, peace in terms of the future, what may or may not happen. But really, at a deeper level... What James is doing in chapter 4 is James is leading us to, I think, the ultimate spiritual life hack. James is telling us in in chapter 4, if you figure out what matters most, everything else comes together. James wants us to figure out what matters most, and that is, spoiler alert, your relationship with God. It's being close to God. Um, It's not... You know, we focus on a lot of times, how can I achieve more? How can I be more successful? How can I somehow juggle all of the daily pressures that I have at work or at home? Uh, We think about, uh, I mean, other stuff that really matters the most. What would be the answer to that question? Well, maybe it's my, my big commitments. You know, my commitment to my wife, my commitment to my kids. Maybe that's what matters the most. Uh, maybe what matters most is, 
making a difference, you know, in the community, in the world. You know, we're, we're dis- God wants us to serve. God wants us to help people. Those things are all good. I mean, better than good. Those things really matter. Um, but again, he says, no, it, it's, it's your relationship with God. And the reason we know that in chapter 4 is the vocabulary that James uses. There are a lot of words, a lot of words used in James chapter 4, in those 17 verses, that only make sense in the context of a relationship. Not just any relationship, but, but a deep relationship. Just I put a few of those words on top of the outline this morning. Envy. Grief. Um, mourning. Laughter. Loyalty. Tears. Friendship. Sister. Brother. Heart. Nearness. Those are words that make sense in a relationship. They're not business words. Okay, they're not philosophical concepts. Those are words about about two individuals coming together. Envy, grief, mourning, laughter, loyalty, tears, friendship, sister, brother, heart, nearness. Words that have relevance in the context of love. And so James is saying the ultimate life hack is being in love with God, is experiencing that, not just up here, but just experiencing that with your whole life. So consider this. You probably have a lot of different nicknames or things that people call you. For me, I guess you could start with maybe the most formal, the most kind of detached or distant one would be Dr. Dabs. I don't get called that very often because my dad was actually a medical doctor. I'm a Ph.D. in philosophy. One of those can actually help save a life. One of those, yeah, philosophy, not so much, okay? But if you call me Dr. Dabbs, you're probably like introducing me at a conference or something or you're a hotel clerk in a lobby and, hello, Dr. Dabbs, we have your reservation ready. Uh, Then, of course, there's Gordon. A lot of people call me Gordon, and that probably means you know me at least a little bit. You probably know what I do. Um, You maybe know something about my family, or maybe we're close friends and we hang out together, Gordon. Then there is, and seeing you, Sean, with your brand new baby, Aiden, this morning, there is, that reminds me, there is a very exclusive thing that people call me, and people call you, Sean, or will call you when they learn to talk, and that is dad. The most exclusive of all. Those two people, Claudia and David, for me, are the only two people in the world that can call me dad. I was there in the room when they were born. Uh, I took their temperature and held them when they were sick. Um, I helped them with their homework sometimes, although their homework's gotten a little above me, I think, now in high school math. But, But dad, they're the only two people... You remember when, when Jesus, his disciples had just watched him be with the Father, and they wanted that, and they saw how he prayed, and they said, Master, teach us to pray. And you remember how Jesus, the first two words in his prayer, he says, Our Father. Our Father. That is the relationship, the primary relationship that we enjoy with God. He's our Father. He's our Father. 
Now, the Jews in the Old Testament, you know, Old Testament times, they, they were familiar with the concept, God as our Father. Uh, in the Psalms, other places, it was like, well, God is like a Father to Israel. Jesus doesn't say God is like a Father. He says, God is your Father. Romans chapter 8, Paul says, Your spirit, the spirit who lives in you, cries out to God, Abba, which is Daddy. It is the intimate term that a young toddler would use to talk to their daddy. Just this relationship, this closeness that we have in Christ to God Almighty, Creator, Lord of Lords. He's our Father. He's our Abba. And so James, this relationship that he's referring to, that he's touching base with throughout James chapter 4, is this relationship that we have to God as our, as our Father. So three things I want you to note about this. Just, this is just kind of relationship stuff in general, okay? If primarily how I, how I relate to God is not based on religion, but is based on this relationship, then the first thing for sure is, well, James uses words of longing and intimacy. Longing and intimacy are part of that. And they're part of my relationship with the Lord. But the second thing is this. Since we're dealing with a relationship... Think about this. Since we're dealing with a relationship, there is no magic formula. (laughs) There is no clinical process. A, B, C, D, therefore, E. There is none of that. There's nothing that guarantees intimacy. If you're in a relationship with a real person or with your father or God, there is mystery. There is mystery. Today... This morning, March 6th, is the day of our 23rd wedding anniversary. Isla, congratulations. 23rd. (laughs) You are amazingly patient and perseverance. And I think, I don't think she would start laughing or call me a liar or anything if I said our marriage is stronger today than it's ever been. Stronger today than it's ever been. I would have loved for somebody on our wedding day to have given me five easy steps to a wonderful marriage or, or here's your ten-step process to have perfection in the marriage relationship. But, that, but they didn't give me that because there aren't easy steps. There isn't a clinical process. There are no guarantees. It's just doing life together. It's having enough fights It's being upset. It's being irritated. It's talking things out again, again, again. It's crying together. It's laughing together. It's having funny memories together. It takes a lot of time because it's a relationship. No magic formula, no clinical process. That's not how relationships... Yeah, there are some tips. Um, There are some habits that, that are good ones. But Christianity is this fundamentally new relationship between us and God, our Father. Um, It's where we are a child of God, and we spend the rest of our lives learning to be fathered, learning to be fathered by God. Well, check this out. Third thing there. To move closer to the Lord, I recognize His desperate longing for my heart and my need to thirst deeply to know and experience his love. 
to know and experience his love. And I want you to write these three letters. There's not a particular place on the outline to do that, but just write the three letters A-S-K, ask, on your outline. James talks a lot about asking in his short book. Um, And so we come asking for intimacy with God. We come not expecting, but saying, Lord, this is... This is my desire. I'm not going to turn loose of this. I'm hanging on to this. I'm going to keep asking until we have intimacy together. James chapter 1 verse 5, he says, ask God. James chapter 4 verse 2, he says, you do not have because you do not ask. James chapter 4 verse 3, again, he says to ask. Come before God asking. It's, it's simple, really. Not that complicated. Ask for deeper intimacy. If you feel numb, spiritually dry, it's a desert season for you. Ask and ask God, Lord, I want you to help me desire you more. Fan the flames of thirst and hunger for you in my heart. As the deer pants for water, I thirst for you. And if I don't, God, help me to thirst for you. Because that's what I was born for. That's what I need more than anything else. So boiling it down on the outline this morning, here it is. Do I desire, and you may not be here, and that's okay. We're all at different places on the journey. But here's the question, I think, from James 4. Do I desire... One thing more than anything else. To come close to God. Is that what I desire? When you peel everything else back, is that what my soul wants most? No magic formula, because we're talking about a relationship. No ten easy steps, because this is a relationship we're talking about. Real relationships are dynamic. They're changing. They are alive. They grow. They evolve. They, they have ebbs. They have flows. There's a closeness. There's a not-so-closeness. That's part of being in a relationship. And there's this mystery in drawing near to God because I know I'm never going to fully know the God that I love. He's so far beyond me. His love, His holy majesty, so far beyond me. But that only calls me deeper. But it starts with wanting it, with asking for it, with not turning loose of that hunger or ignoring that hunger or looking to pour something else into that place that only God and God alone will satisfy. So a month back or so, I got an email from Tiffany Fleming, who's a member here at Preston Crest. She had shared um, some just um, testimony, some thoughts about her journey just over the last year or so with her connection with the Bound by Faith class. And then she emailed that to me, and then I said, hey, could I share this with the church? And she said, well, yeah, I think God wants to use this story. So here's what she wrote. First, she, to start out with, she quotes Adele, okay, which is okay, right? She says, there's a fire starting in my heart. Reaching a fever pitch, it's bringing me out of the dark. Finally, I can see you crystal clear. And then she continues, she says, a fire that I like to call revival. A revival that's been happening in my heart and in my mind. Flashback to one year ago, you would find a lonely girl desperately looking for something. 
Common sense and hindsight would be screaming, Jesus, you need Jesus. You're right. But sometimes Jesus needs people to feel their complete brokenness before he picks them up, begins putting them back together, and gives them a story to tell. A story I believe may be familiar to more people than we think. Okay, so one year ago, she writes, I was a lonely mom seeking perfection, stingy on grace, and looking for satisfaction in anything external. I wanted my home, my life, my family, everything to look perfect. You know, like those, <laughs> like those Instagrammers who have eight kids, yet there's never a dirty floor, unflushed toilet, or smeared windows. Man, those moms really have it together, and I'm just not doing this right because my homemade essential oil Play-Doh, parentheses, yes, I made that, my homemade essential oil Play-Doh was crusty, and I burned pretty much everything I cook. And seriously, my kids are terrified of anyone that's not me, and they throw fits, and she writes, blah, blah, blah. Perfection is a tricky tool that Satan uses to really do a number on us. He used it on me until I found myself so far away from God. One day I thought to myself, I don't think I really believe. I mean, I don't feel him when I'm lonely or angry or even happy. Surely no one else has ever thought of any of that. Um, we all go to church and sing and commune with our brothers and sisters. Yeah, no one has questions, just me. At least that's how she felt. I began to feel shame for feeling that way. One day I decided I had to tell someone how I felt, someone older and wiser. Now I assumed their response would be to find the nearest scripture or try and pray over me, which by the way isn't bad, it's just not what I wanted at the time. Their response was, okay, you don't have to believe. You see, I serve a God who loves you so much, he lets you choose that for yourself. After that conversation, revival really began. I went home that day feeling lighter. I didn't really understand why, but you see, God was chipping away at a heart that was hard. A heart that was filled with the need for perfection, for validation. A heart that was afraid to let anyone near it as they might see all the brokenness and run for the hills. A few Sundays after that conversation, Gordon preached a sermon titled, God is Bigger Than My Loneliness. I cried the whole service. It felt like God had gift-wrapped that sermon and sent it down for me to hear at a perfect time. I know so many other lonely people and felt that felt the same way that day. And all I can say is thank you, God, for loving us and showing us in these seemingly small ways, little by little, he keeps chipping away. And then she concludes, whether it's hearing similar stories from others or the relationship that I have seen thrive since I let Christ back in, 
we may not always be ready to see God or notice what He's up to, but He's there. Right beside you while you sob your way through oceans or celebrate with a friend or share in their loss, I believe He prepares those moments for us before we even exist. He knows. He knows us. He created us. And He wants our whole hearts. He wants our whole hearts. Tiffany would have loved a year, year and a half ago to just have snapped her fingers, presto, intimacy with God. But there were these seasons of loneliness, searching for something, not sure if she believed. And after this long desert experience, she found what she had been looking for. And so to finish our time, we're going to go back to James chapter 4. And he, again, he's not going to give us a combination that's going to unlock intimacy with God. But he's going to give us some attitudes of the heart that certainly lead that way. So the first one is this. Cry of the disciple's heart, number one. It's saying to God, I want you more than your blessings. Lord, I don't want to use you. Here's the thing. According to James, we can and we do easily forget all about the Father and growing nearer to Him and being loved by Him and being fathered by Him. And, and our life with God can turn into a, so, God, I want this and I really need this. My kids need this. And if you could do this, that would be great. And this, uh, well, I'm not even going to tell you that one because I don't think you want that for my life. So I'm going to try to get that over here on my own. And James is like, we do that. In verses 2 and 3, he says, yet you, you don't have what you want because you don't ask God for it. You don't ask. And even when you ask, you don't get it because your motives are all wrong. You want only what will give you pleasure. You want the blessings. You want the goods. But you don't want God more than that. And James says that's a big problem. God can, God can become a celestial vending machine. And my prayers are tokens. I drop in there and I push the button and I hope something pops out. It, God can be the bridal registry at Dillard's. I've signed up for everything I want, God. Now I'm just going to sit back and wait and see what you give me. God can be that way. A place where I'm ordering what I want to make me feel better, more complete. But more than anything, more than anything, a child wants the Father. More than anything, I want God. Number two, God, I want you more than this world. I want you more than this world. Lord, I don't want to two-time you. And that's really the image that James is going to use in chapter 2. And we'll get there in just a moment. But every single one of us 
has this internal battle. I mean, we, we have this battle. It's like, I want the Lord, my soul, even if you're an atheist, okay, your soul pines for God, okay? Your soul wants the Lord. Your soul desires to be reunited with the Father, okay? And you want everything that's pleasurable and attractive that you see. You want that too. You want that stuff as well. Um, and so there's this kind of tug of war, and you can feel split down the middle. James uses this really strong language to describe this tug of war that goes on within us. He uses the, the language of infidelity, of wanting God and wanting the world at the same time. And so James says, he puts it this way, it's really strong in verses 4 to 5. He says, you, you adulterers, wow, don't you realize that friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God? I say it again, if you want to be a friend of the world, you make yourself an enemy of God. What do you think the scriptures mean when they say that the spirit God has placed within us is filled with envy? Envy. I thought envy was a bad thing. The spirit of God living in me is envious. Um, isn't that a sin? You know, I mean... But that's what the, James says that's what the Holy Spirit feels when I'm trying to make room for both God and the world, when I'm trying to love two lovers with my soul. Um, and God, James is like, God's just not okay with that. And by the way, if you're married, you understand that. I mean, no couple that comes up onto the altar and assumes those beautiful vows of matrimony, no couple is thinking, wow, I really hope my spouse is okay with adultery. I mean, nobody thinks that. Um, okay with adultery? No. You want your relationship, that relationship, more than any other, that one relationship is going to be guarded, is going to be special, is going to be private. That relationship is going to be treasured. That relationship is going to be singularly important. That's what you want on your wedding day. And the cry of the disciple's heart is, Lord, you are the one that my soul desires. I want you, and I'm not accepting any substitutes. Yeah, he knows that we need stuff. <laughs> but he also knows that we need him more than anything else. Now, James is making this personal and deep this morning. Number three. I want you more than... This one gets kind of hard for us. I want you more than I want the comfort of the status quo. Lord, I am ready to empty myself and be filled by you. James says, the moment may come for you to laugh and rejoice and celebrate and jump for joy. The moment may come where the appropriate, the right, the good, the healthy response of your soul to God is brokenness. And mourning and grief. We tend to think of, all, oh, that's bad. James like, no, that's not bad at all. There may come a moment when that is exactly the right and healthy and life-giving way to feel. And that is the route to come close to God. He says in verses 7 to 10, humble yourselves before God. Come close to God and God will come close to you. Wash your hands 
you sinners. Purify your hearts, for your loyalty is divided between God and the world. Let there be tears for what you have done. Let there be sorrow and deep grief. Let there be sadness instead of laughter and gloom instead of joy. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. I was thinking, as I was contemplating that this week, I was thinking about how we, we tend to view worship, like this gathering on Sunday morning, whether it's here or maybe you have a different home church. Um, but worship, I think a lot of people think, or we tend to think maybe, ooh, yeah, I want a satisfying worship experience, or I want, if it's a good worship service, you know, all the, the music is right and the preaching is right, then I'm just going to be, be filled up. And be full and be able to, to go into my week with a full head of steam. But I think that is really fundamentally a wrong way of thinking about worship. Because the truth is, we come to get together and we are hungry for God. And if worship is real, we leave even hungrier for God. Worship doesn't quench our appetite. It wets our appetite for God. It's not like, I'm good till next Sunday. Thank you, Lord. It's like, man, I can't. I just, boy, I need you more than ever. So authentic, this authentic experience of drawing near to God, of God drawing near to me, James is like, this may thrill you. This may set your feet to dancing. Um, it may cause sorrow and deep grief. Those are all legitimate because it's a relationship, and that stuff is part of a relationship, Right? All of that's part of a real relationship. If you've never cried with anybody, you probably don't know them all that well. Probably not all that intimate with them. Whatever happens, I want to leave God's presence more hungry for him than ever. So finally, James makes this point in verses 13 to 15. <laughs> um, if I get close to God, if I get really close to God, and if I understand how securely God holds my future in his hands, if, if I know that he is sovereign in this world, that gives me a lot of confidence. Confidence about the future. You know, whatever chaos, whatever catastrophe may befall me, God's got it. It's going to be okay. And we like to say things, this is kind of how James puts it in, in the end of chapter 4. We like to say things like, you know, this week, here are my plans. Uh, here's my five-year plan. Here's why I think I'll be after I graduate college and I do this in grad school or I get this job and get promoted or I start my own business over here. I got this plan, I got that plan. Hey, I'm going to go off over here to this city for a while and I'm going to work and save up and then I'm going to come back. We talk as if <laughs> we, talk as if we know what, what's actually going to happen. It's a funny thing, isn't it? None of us knows that we're actually going to be around in a week, much less five years. I mean, we just don't. It's not, not to be a downer here. We just, we don't. You don't know if the stock market's going to go up this week or if it's going to collapse this week. We don't know. Um, I don't know if I'm going to make the business trip to Chicago this week or if I'm going to end up in an emergency room on Wednesday. I don't know. James is like, look, if you're close to God, if, if, if you're being fathered by God and you have that relationship with God, that's okay. So number four, and this one may be really challenging for some of us that like to be in control. Uh, I want you, God, I want you more than I want to be in control. 
Lord, it's okay if I don't know what's coming next as long as you are with me. And that's where we're going to finish this morning. So, the simple idea is asking. Will you ask God, help me desire you more. Help me hunger for for you more. God, draw near to me. I want to experience that fellowship with you. I want to be fathered by you. I want to enjoy that our father relationship that Jesus opened up for me. Or maybe this morning, first service we had a baptism. Maybe that's your step this morning is making Jesus the Lord of your life, moving into this identity that you have in Jesus, becoming God's child. Baptism is an immersion into all of the blessings that he won for you on the cross. If that's how you need to respond this morning, we invite you to do that as we stand together and worship.